not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. Easter Sunday is always a special time, right? We gather to celebrate the resurrected Savior. Maybe you're here with family but the reality is, though we set aside this Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we know that every day in our hearts we are to rejoice and be thankful that Jesus is alive because that changes everything. So we do want to take a moment to welcome you. We're thankful that you're here to worship with us on what has turned out to be a very nice sunny day outside. It was not quite that way at 710 this morning, but a special thank you to all of you that came and endured the cool weather. That was a wonderful service, and uh, so thank you for being here. If this is your first time with us, we are thrilled to have you, whether you came with a friend or family, or maybe you're just passing through where you're in town visiting. We're glad that you're here. You're our guest. We want to honor you as such. If this is your first time, would you take a moment to let us know that? You can do that one of two ways. You can, at the end of the service, there's a connection card that you can fill out, or inside the bulletin, there's a QR code um, that you can scan just to let us know that this is your first time. Uh, some people have traveled a ways, and so thank you for being here. During this time in Southern Baptist churches, we celebrate and we take up an offering called the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. 
And so we've been showing videos since the beginning of March, and today will be the last Sunday that we show a video. The, the couple that they're focusing on in this video is a family that a few of you in this room actually know. Many of you in this room know the man that's in the video. You know a couple of his sisters. One of his sisters, uh, Donna Black, who used to be Donna Haddon, uh, attended church here for a while. And then others of you know uh, the guy in the video, his other sister. He has many brothers and sisters. But Rebecca, who is a missionary on a three-year stint serving in a foreign country through the IMB. But this video focuses on the Haddons. Um, they're local. Um, Fayetteville, is that where they, they are from? So it's about two minutes. So check out, check out how God's using this family. For most of our Oglala people, summertime is known as the white van season. It's where white vans would show up and do a lot of great things, and then the white vans would leave. Twelve years ago, I came here on a white van, and um, just the imprint that the church has of coming and then leaving. I believe the Lord put that in my heart to begin the call for us to come um, live here for however long He needed us. We are in the, the southwest corner of South Dakota uh, on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Pine Ridge is home to the Oglala Lakota people. and. Um, we lead the country in everything you don't want to lead the country in. We have 80% unemployment. The teen suicide rate is 300% higher than the national average. And we're still ultimately an unreached people group here in the center of our country. We are absolutely an evangelistic ministry, but our approach is um, through compassion ministry. We do a free summer camp for our local kids. It's a day camp. We have church groups that help us do camps for typically eight weeks out of the summer. And then one of the greatest needs we have here is um, just basic housing needs, water lines, plumbing, electrical. And um, I've always done construction. You build relationships that way. So it became a pretty big staple for our ministry was just construction outreach. And then the journey of, of becoming a, a licensed dentist practice, dental practice. And through all of that, God has blessed us with some amazing um, churches and teams that have come from all over the country um, from day one um, and ha have helped us do this. And so to make the gospel accessible, our heart was to be consistent, to be here, to be present all year long. And so people here still call it the white van season, but now it's different. Because we are a people who believes in a risen Savior, we also must be a people who go and declare that risen Savior to a world. And so we have just a, a local family here um, serving the Lord in South Dakota. And so we want to pray for them. We also want to encourage you to give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering in the bulletin. You see our goal is 7500 To date, we've raised 4862 if you want to give to that this morning, there are specific envelopes that are in your chairs. If there's not one in front of you, you can find one somewhere in this building. Just put that inside. That check can be made out to Northside Baptist Church. You can put cash in that envelope. Um, and let's continue to give and to support our missionaries. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will worship uh, again. Father, we come hearts filled with gratitude, hearts filled with hope. Lord, I pray hearts filled with peace this morning through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins is possible through you, Jesus. Being made right 
is possible through you, Jesus. Having eternal life and an inheritance that will never fade or be defiled is possible through you, Jesus. Being called sons and daughters of the King, crying out to you as Father, Abba, is ours through Jesus. So, Father, we come ready and willing to crown you with many crowns, to declare because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Father, I recognize that this morning, maybe not everybody walked in here being filled with peace, or maybe they didn't walk in here having hope, but rather feeling weak and helpless and scared and afraid and uncertain. Father, we are living in difficult days, interesting times, when death and chaos surrounds us. And in the midst of that, we can say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. It's because you live, Jesus, that missionaries like the Haddons and like others that we have read about have gone out into parts of North America where there is little to no access to the gospel, little to no gospel-centered, gospel-preaching churches, and there they are, working hard to see the kingdom of God furthered. Bless their efforts. Oh, Father, may they see the fruit of their labors. Send more laborers out into the harvest. Well, Father, we give you all the praise and the glory for you alone are worthy. Let me ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand once again? Let's continue to worship.
because he lives that we can face tomorrow, isn't it? Feel that way? Let's sing about it.
Amen. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our children can make their way out for Children's Church. So we have a K through second grade, and then we have a pre-K, threes and fours. And so this is your first time, and you don't know what to do. Just follow the exodus of people. They can, you can find your way. Everyone else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. We are in a series looking more closely at salvation. More specifically, we're looking at some big theological words that we use and we want to try to understand them. So we looked at redemption, what redemption means. We talked about regeneration. We talked about conversion. We talked about justification. We talked about sanctification. And if you don't know what those words mean and you would like to know, you can go online and you can check out some of those sermons and hopes of helping us to understand what exactly we're talking about when we talk about salvation. This morning, and if I can be honest, kind of by design, we're looking at what I believe to be one of the greatest doctrines in all of Scripture, and that is adoption. Adoption. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, if you would please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Father, we come to you, Lord, this is a, a, a doctrine, uh, a topic that was not spoken of much as I was growing up. And Lord, I believe that if your people would be able to get this truth, this reality, deep within our hearts, it would change so much of how we see the world and how we live and, Father, how we think. We recognize that apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of these glorious doctrines that we have looked at would not be possible. There would be no redemption there would be no regeneration there would be no justification there would be no sanctification there would be no ability for us to repent and turn to faith in you and apart from the resurrection father we could never be called sons and daughters of the king and so lord we celebrate your resurrection but help us to understand that your resurrection impacts our lives every day because it makes these glorious truths possible father help us help me Speak to our hearts, convict us, lead us to a place of repentance and a place of resting and trusting in you. In Jesus' name, pray, amen. On the screen behind me is a picture of my family, taken June 22nd, 2016. This is right outside the court, the room where 
we would go in, and I had to, I've seen other people, I envisioned that we would actually stand like in the front of this courtroom and like the judge would be up there and he would declare and that's not quite how it happened for us. We were just in a small room. But nevertheless, uh, the judge still declared on this day legally that this young man that you see uh, that Ryan's holding became Malachi Nahum Hornsby. Though he had been with us for about six months, we got him in January of 2016. This was June of 2016, but this is the day it became official, that we said he is our son and we are his parents. The Greek word for adoption simply means to place as a son, to place as a son. Adoption is biblical and it is gloriously good news. And this morning, I'm not talking about earthly adoption or foster care. I'm talking about how the Father has adopted us as sons and daughters. But I will use the earthly picture of adoption because I think it helps us to grasp this biblical truth. But to understand how gloriously good this news is, you and I must first realize it is only good news when you understand it in light of the bad news. And so the bad news, Galatians chapter 4, Paul has spent the first three chapters speaking to our being justified with God by faith. He speaks to the purpose of the law that was given by God. We're not saved by keeping the law. In fact, we can't keep the law. In Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 and 2, Paul gives us an illustration. He says, I mean that the heir, so you have an heir, you have a son, who has an inheritance, he's the heir to this inheritance. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, that Greek word for child is just a little bit above an infant. So you're talking about a six-month-old up to maybe a two- or a three-year-old. So get this picture, that this heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, functionally, right? A slave had no rights. This child is still just a baby. It can't do anything for itself. It says, though he is the owner of everything, But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Right? A child, though an heir, Paul says, is no different from a slave. He has guardians and managers, people who are taking care of him and watching him. And in this culture, yes, the father would be part of that, but they would also have other people that would come in and help raise this child. And so, listen, he might be an heir by right. If he could speak, he could say, I'm an heir. All that is my father's is mine. So he might be an heir by right, but not by fact. He's still just a little bitty child. He can do no more than a slave could do. And then Paul gives the application. Verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, for that, this, that means before Jesus Christ, when we were children, We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, we aren't sons, we are slaves. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God create out of nothing. He creates out of nothing. And the climax of his creation is Adam and Eve, man and woman, created in the image of God. It's beautiful. But then in chapter 3 of Genesis, it records for us that Adam and Eve rebelled against their beloved creator. They disobey his commands. They fail to trust his promises. And the scriptures are clear going forward that we have broken the law of God grievously. 
Thus we are alienated from God. And when he's talking about being a slave here, he's talking about being enslaved to sin. He's not talking about physical slavery. He's talking about being enslaved to sin. We're subject to the penalty of the law, which is death. We are children of wrath, cursed, and headed straight for hell. We are all created in the image of God. But none of us were sons and daughters of God. In fact, Jesus says in John 8, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Your father is Satan, and you are an orphan because he certainly doesn't care for you. C.H. Spurgeon said, an unjustified man stands in the condition of a criminal, not of a child. His sin is laid to his charge. He is reckoned as unjust and unrighteous. That's who you are apart from Jesus. As indeed Spurgeon says he really is. And he is therefore a rebel against his king and not a child enjoying his father's love. Some of you know what it's like to grow up as an orphan or under a father who didn't love you. For some of us, like myself, you had a dad who loved you. So reading things in scripture like this, it doesn't quite resonate. But the scripture is clear. You had no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And unless you understand the bad news, the good news that I'm about to tell you really makes no sense. So here's the good news. God has adopted you as sons. The New Testament uses the language as sons because that's what was common in Roman culture at that time. Right, they would tend to adopt older sons who were already mature, who could do things, and they would adopt them. They'd bring them into the family so that they could carry on that line, that heritage, so that they could be an heir. God has adopted us as sons. Look at verse 4. If you underline in your Bible, you may want to underline that first word, but. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In these verses, we see the Trinity at work in our salvation and in our adoption. We see the Father and the Son and the Spirit all playing a part in our adoption. The Father administered your adoption. It says, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son at the right moment in human history. Jesus comes at the exact moment. But it was God way back in the Garden of Eden that determined to save and rescue a people out of slavery and make them sons of God. It was already in the plans of God that we would be his sons and heirs. Ephesians 1 says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So the Father administers your adoption. The Son, Jesus Christ, accomplishes your adoption. He redeems you. He purchases you. Look what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, notice the language, God sent forth his son. What you have here, and this is key, is a statement about the eternality of Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus is eternal. It doesn't say God made him. It says God sent him. Jesus has always existed. And at the right moment, God the Father sends Jesus Christ the Son. In order to save us, Jesus had to be God. For only God can overpower sin, death, and hell. It says that he has sent forth his Son, born of woman. This indicates Jesus' humanity. So in these two phrases, you have the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. Jesus had to be fully God to overpower sin, death, and hell. And he had to be fully man because only man can substitute and die in the place of another man. So Jesus takes on flesh. He's born of woman. But look what it says. This is key. He's born under the law. Like any man, Jesus, being born under the law, is responsible to the law of God. He was born under, under it, born with the responsibility to obey it like every other man. But unlike every other man, Jesus obeyed it perfectly. Amen? He knew no sin. If Jesus sins, then he cannot be the sinless lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He keeps the law. Why? Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. The word redeem means to buy back. The law of God, which good and perfect, could only crush us, only kill us, only make us guilty. It shows us our sin. But Jesus died to purchase our salvation and to secure our adoption as sons. So the Father, right, uh, plans it, right, administers it. The Son accomplishes it. The Spirit applies it. The Spirit applies your adoption. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, that's the Spirit of God, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So God the Father sends the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who comes and He lives inside of us so that we might have the experience of sonship. When God gives me His Spirit, it causes me to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. This term of intimacy my own heart cries out, God, you're my father. It's one thing for God to say, Aaron, I'm your father. It's another thing for the spirit of God within me to say, yes, and I'm your child. You are my father, and I am convinced through Jesus I am your child. God sent his son to purchase our salvation. Jesus Christ is the perfectly obedient son. He offers himself upon the cross to redeem us. He's our sacrifice and the payment for sin. And he is killed and he is placed in a tomb. But on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering Satan, conquering the resurrection. And brothers and sisters, hear me. At the resurrection, Jesus Christ swings wide open the gate of the Father and he says, you come to me and you sit at my table. That's yours. That's yours in Jesus Christ. That God is not your judge. Now through Jesus, he becomes your father. And you are sons. And you are daughters. That is the glory of the doctrine and the beauty of adoption. That we're no longer spiritual orphans. We are sons of God. Heirs with Christ Jesus. 
We are recipients of a great inheritance. Righteousness is yours. Resurrection is yours. Everlasting life is yours. You, in Christ, have been given an identity. Who are you? You are not who the world says you are. In Christ, you are a son and a daughter of the King. That's your identity. The world can't add nor take away from that. But not only are you given an identity, you've been given an eternal inheritance that Peter says is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Through Jesus Christ, we are sons and daughters of the King. Now that's the scripture. That's Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Now what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to apply that to us. And I first want to think about it from the perspective of a parent. Or from God's perspective as a father. So on June 22nd, 2016, Ryan and I did not have to adopt Malachi. No one forced us. No one took us there against our will. No one held us at gunpoint to say, you must adopt Malachi. We did it because we chose to do it. Hear me. God adopted you and saved you, not because he had to. God was not obligated to save any of us. And yet, God, in his grace, has chosen to not only save us and forgive us, but to call us sons and daughters. He chose to. Do you understand that? Are you living in that truth that you have been chosen by God to be sons and daughters? But the second thing is when we adopted Malachi, Malachi couldn't earn that salvation. We didn't earn that adoption. We didn't adopt him based upon what he might be, what he could be. We didn't put certain stipulations upon the adoption. God had led us, he brought our paths together, and so we adopted him, and it was a gift. Now let's apply that to the Father. Your adoption is a gift. You can't earn it. Some of you are here and you're still trying to earn it. Can I do enough? Am I good enough? Can I be righteous enough? You think in coming to this place on Easter Sunday that God's more pleased with you somehow. He loves you as his son, And as his daughter, and it is a gift. Your salvation is a gift. Now you have to decide, are you going to receive it or are you going to reject it? I pray everyone in this room has received the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. You've taken hold of that. But if you have not, then today's a day of salvation. But here's the third thing. And maybe, I think, one of the most important things. That sometimes if you've not adopted, you don't quite understand. And that is this. In the divine family, there are no distinctions of affection. There are only two boys in this entire world who can call me dad. One of them sits here, and he looks like me, and he's biological. My other one sits over here, and he doesn't look like me, and he's adopted. But in my heart, there is no distinction. They both call me dad, and they are both my sons. Hear me, brothers and sisters. When the Father looks at you, as much as he loves Jesus, he loves you. Because you have been grafted into the family of God. You are heirs with Christ. 
So you come this morning and you think, Pastor, I've given my life to Jesus. Man, I know I'm supposed to be following Jesus, but I just don't feel like God loves me. Yes, he does, because the scriptures say he does. He loves you. There's no distinction. So if you have given your life to Jesus, then will you rest and find hope in the Father's love for you? But now let us think about adoption from the perspective of the adopted. Let us think about it this morning as we begin to to land the plane, so to speak, and in, in not like in a few minutes, but maybe like in 10 minutes. Just I don't want you to get confused. Um, think I'm lying because I'm telling you we're landing the plane. It's going to be a slow land, all right? Um, first word I want to give you is authority. Please listen clearly and hear the heart of your pastor. As sons and daughters, we are to be led by the Spirit of God. This is what Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In adoption, we become children of God. and We are given privileges that belong to members of God's family. I want you to think back to your childhood, whether you were adopted or not. If you had a father that loved you and cared for you, it was probably the desire of your heart to live in such a way that your father and your mother were pleased, that you honored them. They had authority over you. And though you weren't perfect, some of you close, but not perfect, and though you didn't perfectly measure up, you still wanted to please them and honor them. You were whatever your last name is. I was a Hornsby. That meant that when I went out into the community, Helen and Leonard Hornsby, I was representing them. I wanted to image them in a way that pleased them, that delighted them. You see where I'm going with this? If you claim to be the son or the daughter of a king, then your priority ought to be to live in a way that you are rightly imaging your father. We are living in a culture that is taking God's word and trying to shred it all to pieces. And you might be tempted to do that. But let me remind you whose you are and who you belong to. You belong to the king. And the king wrote this. And as his sons and daughters, you don't want to please the Lord Jesus just on Easter Sunday or just on any Sunday. It ought to be the desire of our hearts to say, Abba, Father, I want you to be pleased in every thought and every decision and every choice that I make. I want to honor you because you are my Father. The second word is security. As sons and daughters, we no longer fear death. Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, <coughs> but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, we don't have to fall back into the fear. What is our ultimate fear? It's the fear of death. Most people are afraid of death. Death surrounds us, but we don't have to fear death. Rather, because we are sons and daughters of the King, because Jesus is alive and lives in us, we rest in the security our Heavenly Father provides. You are given the status of a son and a daughter. And you have the security of sonship. You are within the Father's palm of His hands. And nothing 
can take you out of the Father's hands. So this morning, not only are you under the authority of the Father, but you have the security of the Father, that He's with you right now, that you are with Him. Third, affection. Affection. As sons and daughters, we know and trust in the Father's protection and His provision for today. We know the Father loves us and provides for us. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Like, that'd be a pretty mean trick. But like, which of you, for real, if your child comes to you and says, I'm hungry, can you give me some bread? You say, no, I don't think so, eat this stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Oh, please don't do that. Don't do that to me. Pretty, pretty please, right? Who would do that? But look what he says. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God loves you. The scripture is clear. We see God's love in the cross, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you came, and you don't know why you came, I'm telling you, it's the Spirit of God that brought you here. Maybe he used the invite of a friend or a family member, but you're here. And the Spirit of God is beginning to work in your heart. And you're beginning to see your need for a Savior. You're beginning to see, oh no, I'm in a bad place apart from Jesus. But how do I know God loves me? How could God possibly love me a sinner? Because he demonstrates it in his son dying for you while you were a sinner. But listen to 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Your Father, who is sovereign and on the throne, will make sure His children are provided for. He's going to provide for you today. You can trust that. You know how? Because He provided for you yesterday, and last week, and last month. So you have the affection of the Father, but one last word. You have hope. As sons and daughters, we know and trust in the Father's protection and provision, not just for today, but for tomorrow, for the future. You've been given an inheritance. Nothing, nothing can take that away from you. Verse 17 of Romans 8 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. You are an heir with Christ. Now listen to what else Paul says. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're going to talk about glorification next Sunday. I encourage you to come back. But he says, even though you may suffer, you still are an heir. You have hope. Augustus Top Lady wrote, Things future, nor things that are now, not all things below or above, can make him his purpose forego. Or sever my soul from his love. What makes you different from the lost world around you? What makes you different? What distinguishes you? You suffer just like they will suffer. You will experience pain just like an unbeliever will experience pain. You will experience cancer or some other sickness or possibly death like any other person will. What separates you? 
What do you say? What do you say to a woman holding your hand while her son lies there dead before her eyes and says, why? Why, pastor? I know I'm not supposed to question God, but why? What do you say? What is your hope? I want to show a video in just a second. I'm not going to give you the context of the video. I'm just going to show it. It's 40 seconds. It's just a group of people singing. I just want you to see them lift up and glorify the Lord. And I'm going to tell you the context if you'll play the video. That video was from a worship service that took place last Sunday, April 2nd. It was Covenant Presbyterian Church gathering to worship. Six days after six lives at Covenant School in Nashville were tragically taken. Six days later, unimaginable grief and pain, death and loss, heart broken families who will never be the same a church a school a city shaken and yet they still gather to sing praise God from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below praise him above ye heavenly host praise father son and holy ghost I saw this video on Twitter earlier this week it was shared by Denny Burke, who is at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he wrote this as he shared the video. Christ followers don't raise their fists at heaven and say, how could you? They raise their voices to heaven and cry, how long? I don't know about you, but every day that passes in this culture, I find myself crying more and more, God, how long? How long till you come for your people? How long until you come and gather your church? How long, Jesus, until you come for your sons and your daughters? How long? Brothers and sisters, you and I live in this culture, whether you like it or not. What separates you from them? It's that you serve a risen Savior. That's what separates you. What separates you is that you have a God who before the foundation of the world had planned to redeem a people for himself. A people that he would cause to be born again to give them new life. A people that he would justify as right and holy before him and a people who would call him Father and he would call them sons and daughters. So hear me, however you walked in this morning, 
however hurt you may be, however bitter you may be, however wronged you may have been treated, here's what I believe with all of my heart. No matter how hard the pain and the suffering that we experience, and it's real, and I've seen it in the last month more than I want to see it, it's real, here's what I still know. I've got a good, good father who loves me and cares for me. And there is never a second in my life that he doesn't say, you are mine and I've got you. Do you know that truth, brothers and sisters? Because that is the glory of the resurrection. Not only is he a risen Savior, not only have we crowned him King of kings and Lord of lords, but he is a heavenly Father. And we can say, Abba, Father, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, we celebrate today, we rejoice today, because today is Easter Sunday. You're risen. You are alive. But God, we recognize that we didn't get to this point apart from suffering. That Jesus, you suffered. You laid down your life upon a cross. And even in Romans chapter 8, it talks about if we suffer with him. Father, maybe there are people who walked into this room this morning, they've had an incredible week, an incredible year, an incredible month, and they're on that mountaintop, and they're just praising you from the mountaintop. Lord God, we thank you for that. Keep them on the mountaintop as long as you will. But Father, we recognize that some people walked in this morning, and they're in the, they're in the valley. They're in the midst of some of the hardest days, the hardest season of their life. And maybe... It took all of their strength just to get dressed and to walk into this place. Or maybe they're watching online because they didn't have the strength to come. God, I believe that you'll meet them right where they are. And if they are already your son and daughter, then God, you will pick them up. If they will just come to you, you'll pick them up, you'll pull them close, and you'll remind them, I love you as I love my son. And in my arms, you are safe and secure for all eternity. That's the hope that we have that you are our Father, that we are sons and daughters. But God, maybe there's someone in this room or watching online that that is not their reality. Maybe they had a deadbeat father, dad growing up, and they can't imagine a heavenly father who would love them because their earthly father certainly didn't. And that's kept them away from you. But, oh God, I pray that as they heard your word proclaimed, that they will run to you this morning, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, and saying, Lord Jesus, save me, a sinner. Maybe a child of God has walked away from you. And just as that prodigal son ran home and his father was waiting, so, Father, on this Easter Sunday, you are waiting for them, drawing them. God, you've been disciplining them. It's not comfortable. We don't like it. But discipline is what a loving father does when his child goes wayward. So, Father, you've been disciplining them and you brought them to this moment. Father, we're getting ready to sing a last song of praise on this Easter Sunday. Father, would we respond to you? Would you draw us to yourself? Would we confess our sins? Would we just rest in your grace and your mercy this morning that is readily available to us? May we just cry out, Father, your child is here. Just to worship you. Be glorified, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. As always, the altar is open. If you want to come and kneel and pray, I'm available. If you want me to pray with you as we sing, you respond as the Lord...
All right, so this is completely unscripted. I want to sing the doxology together, a cappella, but I, I can't lead in that. So I don't know if somebody can. Somebody just start singing out and we'll just go. Somebody who can sing. We give God the glory. Ron Pearson, if you'll come. Ron's going to come and close us with a word of prayer. Please check out the bulletin. One thing I want to mention is that we have our men's breakfast on April 15th at 8 a.m. After that, around 10 a.m., we're going to have a church-wide cleanup day. So maybe you're not a man, you can't come to the men's breakfast, but we'd love for you to come. All men, women, youth, kids, come and help us as we seek to clean up uh, the church together. That's April 15th. All right, brother, if you'll close us with the word of prayer. We pray that you all have a great Easter. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us who we are. Thank you for showing us early this morning, later today, who you are and what you've done for us. Reminding us that we're part of the kingdom, that we have a life that revolves around that, that we're chosen to be there, that you love us every day. And Father, that's the greatest news that we could have ever heard anywhere in our life. And because we know that, and because we've received that, you've given us the privilege of telling others. So Father, don't let this day pass in the life of a Christian that we don't examine ourselves and figure out who it is that we can tell this story to. It's the greatest news that's ever been told. And we don't want to keep it to ourselves. So Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and every day, help us to be the kind of people that will bring glory and honor to you by our actions. And we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.